Today we'll be reading from Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on, be- on, on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. I give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also, in the, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 7 through 18. This is the finale of our teaching series that we began at the very beginning of this year as we worked our way through Colossians. We titled it, Jesus Plus Nothing equals everything. And we're going to talk about life together makes us better. You'd almost think that as you're reading up to the end part of this Colossians that it would be kind of a throwaway section in the scripture, but there's no throwaway section in the scripture, no such thing. And it seems like he's just giving us a lot of final greetings, but this is packed full of insight on community, what healthy community looks like, believe it or not. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack this, this text But before we do that, let me bring you up to speed what this book has been all about. Colossians has been all about our completeness in Christ, Colossians 2.10. In him you have been made complete in Jesus Christ. Anybody know what today is? Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Anybody know what Palm Sunday represents? Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and the people were crying out, waving palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna. Anybody know what Hosanna means? Uh, No. Save now. Save now. Save now. He's our king. He's our Messiah. Save now. Save now. And uh, the reason why I bring that up is because our completeness, we live in a broken world. We're broken people. And the gospel is the good news that God has sent his son to reconcile us to the Father By his death, burial, and resurrection, through that, he conquered sin, death, and evil so that we could experience fullness of life in Christ Jesus. Our brokenness is directly the result of our alienation from God. But Jesus came to this earth, Hosanna, came to save us. And so we celebrate that, that he's come to save us, to redeem us, to love us. And the book of Colossians is all about Jesus. And so as we wrap up the book of Colossians, he's really showing us here at the very end of this book that you can't have that completeness in Christ apart from good, healthy community. 
And, and so we're going to talk about community here, healthy community. Jesus came to save us. He gave his life for us to redeem us, to reconcile us back to the Father. And so it begins by us being reconciled to God. And then part of that is that we are reconciled to one another in great healthy community. Let me start by reading to you a story came across a number of years ago that talks about this idea and the importance of community. It's called the life or death issue. During World War II, doctors identified a fatal, mysterious disease they called marasmus. Anybody familiar with the disease? Show of hands. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, maybe one or two in all of our services. We've had about one person per service. And so it was discovered in a group of orphan babies who were placed in a care facility with brightly colored toys, new furniture, and good food. In spite of the pleasant accommodations, however, the health of these children rapidly deteriorated. They soon stopped playing with the new toys and gradually lost their appetites. Their tiny systems weakened, becoming lethargic, wearing down. Some children died. When word got out, United Nations doctors were flown in to make a diagnosis and treat the children. After only a short time of investigation, the doctors made a simple prescription, curing the problem within days. For 10 minutes each hour, all children were to be picked up by a nurse, hugged, kissed, played with, and talked to. With this simple prescription, the little ones brightened, their appetites returned, and, and they once again played with their toys. Their marasmus was cured. Phenomenal story. This profound and deep human need for nurturance does not change as we grow older. In fact, take a look at your sermon notes, part of the intro. The longing for belonging, to know and be known, to love and be loved is the greatest longing of the soul. Our need for connecting deeply with people and the God who made us is indispensable to human flourishing. No matter what we achieve, accomplish, or acquire, if we fail to bond with God and others, we will become mired, listen to me, we will become mired in psychological and emotional problems and suffer sickness of the soul. I see it happen all the time. Most of our problems are fundamentally based on the fact that we fail to connect with God, the God who created us, and connect deeply with one another. Genesis 2.18, it's fascinating as you work through the first chapter and second chapter of Genesis, God over and over as he's creating the heavens and the earth and all mankind, he keeps saying over and over again, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then all of a sudden he says, it is not good for man to what? To be alone. And this happened before the fall. So in man's perfect condition, he's saying, It's not a good thing if we are disconnected not only with God, but also with one another. We need to be deeply connected. It is not good for us to be alone. Proverbs 18.1 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, you're you're self-absorbed, you're self-centered when you isolate yourself. He breaks out against all sound judgment. He's just saying, that's not wise, it's not smart. In fact, this is what I found, that the more you isolate yourself, the weirder you get. You do. Seriously. That's why I like hanging out with you guys. You guys keep me in line. My wife keeps me in line. I keep you in line. Yeah, there's, there's just checks and balances that in community that's super healthy. It's not good for us to be alone. Now, what we're looking at here is the first and second G of our 5G process of full devotion to Jesus Christ here at Desert Breeze. 
So first G is a genuine Christian. That's someone who's connecting with God. In fact, I'm going to give you some characteristics here that should represent your connection with God, these characteristics that we're going to look at in this text. So that's, that starts, that's first and foremost. But then there should be this connection. Out of our vertical connection, there should be this horizontal connection, this healthiness in our relationship. And those same characteristics apply to our horizontal connection. And so the first G is genuine Christian connecting with God. Second G is a growing Christian, Christian connecting with one another. A couple of statements that we use here at Desert Breeze regularly is that Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends and friends become what? Codependent. Yes. Welcome to Desert Breeze. No, not codependent. Family. We become family. In fact, there's another couple of other statements that we use. They're values. We believe that the catalyst for life change is weekend services. So weekend services are the catalyst for life change, but real life change happens best where? In small groups. In small groups. If you don't connect any deeper than what you're connecting here on weekend services, you're not going to be healthy. You need to go beyond just a weekend service connection. You need to go much deeper, and you will see that in this text. It's really important, really important so that you can flourish. You will not flourish if you're not connecting any deeper than what's going on right here in the weekend services. You've got to go much deeper than what we've got going on here. So life together makes us better, but it's never going to be perfect this side of heaven. Life together makes us better, but it's never going to be perfect this side of heaven. Came across a, another interesting article. It's in the book by John Ortberg. The title of the book is Everyone is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. <laughs> Listen to what he says. We are tempted to live under the illusion that somewhere out there are people who are normal. In the movie As Good As It Gets, Helen Hunt is racked by ambivalence toward Jack Nicholson. He is kind and generous to her and her sick son, but he is also agoraphobic, obsessive-compulsive, and terminally offensive. If rudeness were measured in square miles, he'd be Texas. <laughs> in desperation, Helen finally cries to her mother, I just want a normal boyfriend. Oh, her mother responds in empathy, everybody wants one of those. There's no such thing, dear. So he goes on in this article. He says, when we enter relationships with the illusion that people are normal, we resist the truth that they are not. We enter an endless attempt to fix them, control them, or pretend that they are what they're not. One of the great marks of maturity, listen to what he says, one of the great marks of maturity is to accept the fact that everybody comes as is. We all have flaws. There's no perfect church. So, so there's a difference between, you know, perfect and trying to find that perfect church. You're not going to find a perfect church or perfect small group or perfect set of friends, but you can have a healthy church. That's what you want. You want healthy. There's a difference between perfect and healthy, and you need to know the difference. I've been wanting to do this, and maybe eventually we will, or maybe not, but at least I'll keep saying this, is that I, over the doorpost, as you come into the church, I always, I've always wanted people to know this, that as they come through the door, it has over the doorpost, it says, no perfect people allowed. Okay? So if you're perfect, get out of here right now. Okay, well, there's no perfect people. It's only people who think they're perfect, but they're not perfect, and they're delusional. 
And uh, they're full of pride because the more pride you have, the less you can see. And, 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 but, and then there are imperfect people like ourselves. We've got flaws. And so all of us are, are, are really in process, and we should be making progress, and that would be healthy. Here's kind of another statement that we've used here for many years, is that it's, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. So we're in process, we need to make progress, and this is a perfect place to do that. And I think that's, that's part of being a healthy church and so these characteristics should more and more reflect our relationship with God and others. So this is what I would ask you to do, that as we go through these characteristics, is to look and evaluate your own life, which one or ones are strengths, and then which one or ones are growth areas for you. Let's start with the first one. I've got friendship. That's your first fill in the blank on your notes. You could actually say family. I think it's much deeper than friendship. Sometimes, you know, you can have friendship, family, they're kind of both combined there. But friendship, we're talking about bonding, fellowship, or family. Look at uh, our text. Um, Let's keep going back to the text here. So let me show you where I got this idea. Verse 7a, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae, and he's saying, hey, at the ending of this letter now, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. That's important to keep that in mind as it relates to this idea of fellowship. Look at verse 9, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Now, when you look at the early church, the first century church, they go from 120, remember they're in the upper room, Acts chapter 2, they're praying, they're pouring their heart out to God, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon them, and immediately they go from 120 to 3,000. That's church growth, pretty amazing. And immediately we see their commitment. Their commitment there is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They're committed to a number of things, but one of the things that they're committed to, it actually says, Acts 2, 42, and they devoted themselves, they were consistently diligent in the fellowship. The same idea here. Family, bonding, relationship. So there was a deep connecting going on. So what does that mean? What does this idea of fellowship mean? It means this. It means it's more than cliche conversation or the sharing of facts or the sharing of opinions. Oftentimes when I hang out with people or sometimes I've gone to small groups, they they have cliche conversation facts and then they get into opinions, they get into arguments and they have to go back to cliche conversations. And then, and then facts, and then, uh, then opinions. It's got to go much deeper than that. It's got to go to a deeper level of feelings and needs. That's when you're beginning to connect at that deeper level. Sometimes we don't even know the difference. But it's feelings and needs. In fact, bonding, the, the definition for bonding is sharing your deepest thoughts, dreams, and feelings without fear of being rejected. So that's what we're talking about here. That level of friendship, that's bonding, relationship fellowship, deeper level, kind of connecting. Now, you'll note that with the cross-references here with each of these points, I'm going to give you one of the many one-anothers that are found in the New Testament. If you get a concordance out, 
Concordance will give you all the words of the Bible, and when you look up the word one another, you'll find uh, those one another's almost 60 times in the New Testament. I think there's a point to be made. He's just saying, here's the level of connection I want my family to have. I want you to love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, pray for one another. There's almost 60 of those. So I'll give you various one another's as they relate to each of these points. Let me give you a few right here. Romans 12.10, he says, be devoted to one another. 1 Corinthians 12.25, care for one another. Philippians 2.4, look to the interest of one another. So let me ask you a real tough question here. Who could I go to that would tell me how you're doing? Who could I go to, maybe even... I know that if you're married, I ought to be able to go to your spouse and they ought to be able to tell me just exactly how you're doing, what your dreams are, how you're feeling, what you're experiencing in life. Kind of that deeper level of feelings and needs. Your thoughts, your dreams, your feelings. Your, what are your fears? What are your things that you're struggling with? I actually know relationships, marriage relationships, where they don't even talk that deep. It's all cliche conversation, facts, and opinions. And so I had to be able to go to your spouse and be able to ask your spouse, how's he doing? How's she doing? But let's take it outside the, the family. How about, do you have a friend or two that I could go to and they could tell me what kind of week you just had or what kind of difficulties you're experiencing? Do you have that level of connection, that bonding? Because that's what he's talking about here. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying in this. He's saying, Tychicus will tell you about my activities that you may know how we are. In fact, Onesimus, they together will tell you of everything that has taken place here. He's sharing his heart, his feelings, his thoughts, his dreams. Who are those people I can go to that will tell me how you're doing? Do you connect that deeply? If not, you're not going to be able to flourish. There's an unhealthiness in your life. You're going to be mired in psychological and emotional issues. It is not good for you to be alone. You need to be able to share with a few folks those deeper things going on in your life. Okay, that's convicting. I got it. And, and we all need to do it. But let me... Let me uh, share with you quickly. It'll kind of be a foundation for this uh, teaching here. I want to take you to a story. It's found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. Jesus often would go back to Capernaum. That was his home base. He'd go there to kind of recover, a little R&R. But uh, he comes to an undisclosed home. Nobody knows. It doesn't even actually say. He didn't have a home of his own. So he goes to this undisclosed home. Word gets out in Capernaum. Jesus is back home. I mean, everybody floods to this house where Jesus is. There's so many people, they pack out the home. They're standing all the way outside the door of the home, everyone trying to get in. Well, there's a guy who's been paralyzed his whole life. He's got four buddies. He's got a small group of buddies. And they're thinking, hey, if we could just get our friend to Jesus, it might make all the world of difference in his life. So they pick him up with, with his mat and carry him to Jesus. They can't get into the door. It's packed out. So they're thinking, okay, what are we going to do? You guys know how the story goes? Somebody comes up with the idea, how about we get up on the roof, we dig a hole in the roof, and we lower 
our buddy down in front of Jesus. That's the epitome of jumping the line right there, okay? Uh, cutting the line. We're not waiting in line. We're going to go up on the road. We're going to cut a hole. We're going to drop our friend right in front of Jesus. It's a phenomenal story. So they do that. As this guy's coming down in front of Jesus, it says Jesus sees their faith, and he tells this guy, hey, your sins are forgiven. Of course, that flips out the Pharisees. They're flipped out. It's like, only God can forgive sins. Hello? Guess who's here? Yeah, it's God. He's forgiving sins. He says, okay, I'll just prove to you. You know, and Jesus says, what's more difficult that I forgive sins or I raise this guy up that's paralyzed? And, and he proves them that he's truly God and he can forgive sins because he raises this guy up and heals him. And it's amazing. He picks up his mat and walks out of there. And the people are astonished. Amazing story. And I think the story teaches us a number of things. Here's one of the truths that that story teaches us. Everyone has a mat. Everyone has a mat. The mat is a picture of human brokenness and imperfection. All of us, all of us have flaws. All of us have difficulties in our life. All of us have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we're trying to work through. Everybody on the planet, everyone has a mat. Here's the second truth I think we can get from that story. Everybody needs a community of roof crashers. We'll call his little small group roof crashers. Y'all need a roof crasher in your life, a number of roof crashers. Friends who will go to extreme measures to get us to Jesus. They would do anything for their friend. In fact, I, you can't help but kind of see into their heart and their mind. If we can just get our friend close to Jesus, oh my goodness. That's what, a, that's what great friends want to do for each other. They want to get their friends to Jesus. If I can get him to Jesus, if I can help him to see Jesus. You see, without his friends, the paralyzed man never makes it to Jesus, never gets healed, never gets forgiven. That's a fact. Without his friends, that's never going to happen. All these things flow out of some very wise decisions made years ago to have great friends. I don't know. There's no backstory here. We don't know, but somehow he had a friend of four guys that were doing everything they could to get him to Jesus, even if it means we got to climb up on a roof, dig a hole in the roof, and drop him down in front of Jesus. It's an amazing story. The paralyzed man's greatest gift were not his legs, but his forgiveness and his friends. There's no gift like the gift of community. There's no gift like the gift of community. Do you have people that know you like that, that care about you like that? Here's the next one. That's all motivated by, so this family, this bonding, this fellowship is motivated by love. That's the next fill in the blank. Look what he says here. Three times he uses the word in this text, verse 7b, Tychicus, he is a beloved brother. That word is agape. That's unconditional love. Verse 9a, and with him, Onesimus, our fellow, our faithful and beloved brother. And then verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician greets you as does Demas. So let me give you some more one another's to back this up to show you that this is biblically based, this idea of love. In John 13, 34, it says, love one another. That statement is used 16 times in the New Testament. 16 times it tells us that we are to love one another. Ephesians 4, 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another. James 5, 16, it says, confess your faults to one another. 
Here's what you need to always keep in mind. You can only be loved to the degree that you are known. You can only be loved to the degree that you are known. You can only be completely loved if you are completely known. This community of roof crashers loved their paralyzed friend. There's no doubt about it. You see, love is the overflow of joy in Christ that gladly meets the needs of others. That's what we see with these guys. That's what we see in their lives. Now, we need to redefine love because our culture, would you agree with me, our culture has really a messed up idea of love? I mean, I hear people say it all the time. We fell in love and then we fell out of love and... It's like, like love is something you can fall into or fall out of. That's insane. It's crazy. They're basing it on emotion. Love does have emotion in it, but it's more about commitment. It's more about choice. In fact, let me give you some ideas of, of love. Love is saying, I see both good and bad in you, and I am still committed to you. That's love. That's love. How about this one? Love is not the victim of your emotions, but the servant of your will. It's not the victim of your emotions, but the servant of your will. Here's another definition I came across uh, within the last month or so as I was really thinking about this idea of love. Love is 10% emotion. There is emotion there, but it's not all based on emotion. The emotion kind of responds to, the, to your choice, but love is 10% emotion, 20% understanding, and 70% will, choice, action. Love is 10% emotion, 20% understanding, 70% will. Now listen to what C.S. Lewis has to say about love. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung out, possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and the luxuries. Avoid all personal entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. It will be hard. There's a risk with love. That's why we need the next characteristic of healthy relationships. We need trust. We need trust. Look at verse 7b. Tychicus and faithful minister. Notice how he describes him. We talk of trust here. That's what that word faithful means. He's trustworthy. Verse 9, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. He's trustworthy. So how do you cultivate trust? Would you guys agree with me? You're probably not going to open up to someone that you don't trust. Do you agree? Pretty much? I've got to get close to them. Ah, I don't feel, they don't feel very trustworthy. So how do you cultivate trust? Ephesians 4, 15 and 25, back to those one another's. It says, speak the truth in love to one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. First Peter 5.5, 5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Ephesians 4.2.32 and Colossians 3.13, forgive one another. So the paralyzed man obviously trusted his friends to carry him and lower him through the roof to Jesus. Would you agree with that? I mean, I'm thinking about, can I trust these guys? They're going to take me up on, on the what? You guys want to take me up on the roof? That sounds a little insane. I don't think I've ever been that high before. You're going to take me up on the roof, and you're going to dig a hole, and you're going to drop me where? 
Through a hole in the roof? Well, he obviously trusted them. He certainly trusted them. Now, trust can't be demanded, but must be earned over time based on performance. Anybody that says, well, you just have to trust me. Well, no, you don't. You just need to trust me. I'm your husband, or I'm your wife, or I'm a pastor. Well, no, no, you, you don't have to. Trust must be earned over time based on performance. Now, there could be something broken in them. Maybe they were so hurt, they were hurt so badly in the past that they, they're at this point in their life where they can't trust anybody. They'll never trust anybody until that's fixed inside of them, until that brokenness is fixed inside of them. So no matter what you do, you could earn all the trust in the world, and you might not ever be able to earn and establish that trust until there's something inside of them that's fixed. But you'll not know that if you keep demanding trust, but you continue to try to earn and establish that trust based on your performance over time. Vulnerability can only happen in an atmosphere of trust. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. One of the things that I love about Desert Breeze is that we're, we're a very vulnerable church. We're very open about our struggles and our flaws and our hurts and hang-ups because we know the grace of God. We understand what he's wanting to do in our life. We're in process. We're okay with that. And we know that we want to be making progress in that. So there's a vulnerability. It's, it's extremely healthy. And so this is what I, I tell people is that this would be normal, healthy Christianity. We should practice authenticity with all, but deep disclosure with a few trusted friends. Make sense? So you don't want to be phony. You want to be authentic with all, but then you've got a few trusted friends where you just pour out your heart to. It goes back to what I said at the very beginning. Are there people in your life I could go to and they could tell me how you're doing? That's bonding. That's fellowship. That's important. We should practice authenticity with all, but deep disclosure with a few trusted friends. Hiding is a curse. Hiding is a curse. It came into being after the fall. Hiding is motivated by shame. It involves pretending and deceiving. It is the place of fear and anxiety. There is no healing in hiding. You will not become whole if you are hiding. So how do I get beyond my hiding? Well, since we have the assurance of God's love, since we have the assurance of God's love, no matter what, we don't have to pretend to be healthier, stronger, or wiser than what we are. The only opinion in the universe that matters is God's. And in Christ Jesus, no one loves you like God. No one adores you like God. No one has given his life up for you like him. That creates a security, a stability in your life. Therefore, then you can be vulnerable horizontally. You're open to God vertically. You know you receive all of his love. Then you can be more transparent and open horizontally creating that healthiest. Remember I said, all these characteristics are first and foremost between us and God, and then out of that, then we can connect. Oftentimes when when we're broken horizontally, it's because there's something broken vertically in our life. More than anything else, God uses people to heal people. And it involves friendship, love, trust, and then it involves teamwork. Teamwork, that's your next characteristic. Verse 7, Tychicus, fellow servant, he calls him fellow servant. We're working together in the Lord. Verse 11, and Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. Another phrase there of teamwork, fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry 
that you have received in the Lord. Let me give you some one another's once again that re- reinforces that. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, employ the gifts God has given you for the benefit of one another. You have gifts. God wants you to employ them for the benefit of others. Romans 4.19, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, build up one another. Now, it took the teamwork of four friends to carry their paralyzed friend up on the roof and then to lower him through the roof to Jesus. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It takes teamwork for DB to succeed and to thrive here. And I'm telling you, we've got amazing teamwork here. What you see on weekend services is the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more ministry that's happening in our small groups and and throughout the week and what's happening right now. I have the privilege before I come in here week in and week out as I walk through the children's ministry area, I'll walk through the youth Oh my goodness, the teams and the teamwork that's going on there is absolutely amazing. I love the teamwork spirit that we have here at Desert Breeze. People rolling up their sleeves, getting involved, being a part of ministry. Listen, this church would not survive if it wasn't for people like yourselves who are giving of their time, their talent, and their treasure, their finances, finances consistently, regularly. God is doing some amazing things here at Desert Breeze. They're out of this world, ministry, for all eternity. Now, can you imagine the celebration of the five of these friends as they all walk away together from this house where Jesus was teaching? Their friend was just healed. He was paralyzed. He grabs his mat. He's walking out. They're all walking together. Can you imagine them high five? Whoa! I mean, they're going crazy. They're just like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. If we could get him to Jesus, look what's happened. I mean, they're going crazy. Kind of like maybe if you're into NCAA basketball national championship when Kansas beat North Carolina. Kansas was going crazy. And you don't care, do you? Yeah, I didn't think so. And it's like, okay, let's take it back a little bit further. How about when the L.A. Rams beat Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't care much about that either, Pastor Ray. <laughs> I don't like L.A. Rams. I'm still disappointed over the Cardinals doing a big belly flop at the end of the season. It was interesting. Anytime you watch the big celebrations at the end of these games, I mean, they're going through the roof. These people are just, oh, for what? Basketball? You have got to be kidding me. A football? That's so temporal. If I were to ask you who won the NCAA National Championship last year, I bet nobody even knows and nobody even cares. Okay, maybe a couple guys. Maybe a few. You, you don't remember who won the Super Bowl maybe a couple years ago. Maybe last year. Last year, maybe. You know why? Because that's all temporal. If they get crazy and wild over something so temporal, even more so. Should we get crazy and wild over something that is eternal? Because what we do here is for eternity. People's lives are hanging in the balance, heaven or hell, for all eternity. And that's why we celebrate. That's why I love the teamwork that's going on here at Desert Breeze. And you want to see a celebration? Come back next weekend. Because when we are able to watch a number of people make a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. Baby, that's payday for guys like me and all of us that serve here regularly. 
When we see that, when we see people go through DB Life, when we see people get off the bench and into the game and start participating, when we see people get plugged into small groups, oh my goodness, God is working. God's doing something here because it's all for eternity. Talk about teamwork. Talk about high fives. I mean, we celebrate it regularly. When we get together as a family, that's, this is weekend services, celebration about who God is and what he's done for us. Week in and week out. And next week, whoo, that's kind of the pinnacle. Oh, we celebrate around here every weekend. But next weekend, it'll be a great celebration. It'll be great. So life together makes us better. Fellowship, love, trust, teamwork. And then there's encouragement. Look at verse 8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Okay, let me give you some one another's here. First Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. So he's telling us this is how we should interact with each other. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another. Hebrews 10.26, stir up one another to love and good deeds. So it's, it, it took encouragement for these roof crashers to take their friend to Jesus. And it, and it must have been very encouraging to the paralyzed man that his friends cared enough to take him to Jesus. How many here have ever been discouraged? Has you ever been discouraged before? Yeah, I think probably everybody here. What does that mean? It means to take courage out of us. Something took courage out of you. You felt like throwing in the towel, giving up, felt like quitting. You lost all hope. Courage, gone. When you encourage someone, you're putting courage in them. You're putting courage in them. Let me ask you this question. Have you felt like giving up lately? I had a brother in our church this last week. We gathered, we've been getting together somewhat regularly to pray for our church, to pray for revival, to pray for the people here. We walked in this room and we were praying for the names that are up on the wall up there. If you're not familiar with that, we started this last week. I mean, that, that butcher paper is filled with names of people that don't know Jesus. And I'm already hearing reports back as we're praying for those folks. God's doing a work in the lives of, of the people's names that are up there. If you haven't put names of your lo- un, uh, unsaved loved ones up there, I would encourage you to do that at the end of the service. We were praying for the names up there. And he began to share with me. He's a co-leader in one of our small groups. He was leading this small group. And the Lord put it on his heart that there was a gal in that small group, gave him a word of, of, of knowledge, a word of discernment that she was struggling in the small group. So at the end of the group, they, they typically will pray for one another. And he said to her, are you, are, are you struggling? I feel like the Lord put you in my heart for some reason. What's going on in your life? And she began to say, yeah, I feel all alone. I feel lonely. I'm overwhelmed with fear. I know who the gal is. It broke my heart. You would never know that. She felt safe enough to be vulnerable in that group, vulnerable in that group and that group rallied around her and loved her and poured courage into her. Begin to speak truth and pray for her. She told me this morning, she came up at the 
first service and said, you're not going to believe what happened to me. There was something that lifted off of me that I have not returned to since then. She said she had all sorts of fear and all sorts of negativity just pounding away at her. And her small group rallied around her and loved her and put courage back into her in the name of Jesus. That's what small groups are all about. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. Praise God. If we would be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, God is bringing people around you that need courage. You can put courage in them. God's called us to do that. There's a lot of desperate, lonely people in our culture today. God has called us to speak into their lives and to put courage into their lives. Encouragement. Without courage, we throw in the towel, we give up, we quit, we, we lose all hope. Who do you have in your life that puts courage in you? Are you an encourager to those God has put in your life? And then there's hospitality. That's the next characteristic. Look at verse, verse 10. Aristotarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. He's talking about hospitality. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. He's talking about hospitality. Welcome him. And Jesus who is called justice. So uh, some more one another's. First Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I wonder why he had to put that not without grumbling on there. Do you find that odd? Hey, be hospitable. By the way, don't grumble about it. I think possibly uh, we got to have them over again. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Practice hospitality, Romans 12, 13. Acts 2, 42 through 47, early church, they go from 120, 3,000 new believers. Hospitality was a way of life for the early church. Listen, you didn't have to encourage them to get together. When they connected with God, a sign of health is that you want to connect with other believers. And they went from house to house. They gathered regularly. They prayed. They loved on one another. That was normal Christianity. That was healthy Christianity. When I look at the story here, I find the story quite fascinating in Mark chapter 2, verses 1, I think, all the way down, where it talks about the story of this man who opens up his house. We don't even know who the man is, but imagine being the guy who owns the house that Jesus is staying, undisclosed location, nobody knows and everybody knows, and everybody comes to the house, they pack out the house, people can't get in. And then you agree to host a meeting, and suddenly, while Jesus is teaching spontaneously, you have a skylight installed. Like, these guys are digging a hole in his roof. He calls in his insurance agent to see if this is covered. And he says to his insurance agent, uh, Jesus is here, can we call it an act of God? So, I mean, I mean, his home was basically getting trashed. I remember we started Desert Breeze in our home, 16 of us. We quickly grew to about 40 to 50 of us. And I told my wife, I said, we got to get these people out of here. They're trashing our house. So we moved into the boys' club after that, and we continued to grow. It was really crazy what was God, God was doing. But we grew by having people over for backyard barbecues and volleyball games. It was all about hospitality. It's really kind of the atmosphere here. That's why we have a coffee bar. Why don't you grab a coffee, come in, hang out, open up your Bible. Let's have a good time. Let's, let's celebrate what we have in Jesus. Let's connect deeply. Let's take Christ seriously. Let's not take ourselves so seriously. Let's have a good time. Let's have fun. But let's take God really seriously. So when was the last time you had some friends over to eat, tell stories, and laugh until you cried? 
That's, ho that's hospitality. What group of friends do you love spending time with? That's why we do small groups. Let me tell you something. This is what I love about small groups. From time to time, some of you that are in small groups will invite Nancy and I when you're doing a potluck. We got some phenomenal cooks here. You can invite Nancy and I anytime to your potlucks. It's good stuff. It's a blast. We have a lot of fun. Here's the next one is comfort. Next characteristic, comfort. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. I had a guy come up last night and say, how can you have circumcision and comfort in the same Bible verse? Seems like an oxymoron, sounds really uncomfortable to me. Kind of weird, huh? So comfort me. They have, they have been a comfort to me. Some more one another's. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, I love these verses. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can in turn comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. Man, the more we receive that comfort from God, the more that we can give it to others. It tells us in Galatians 6, to bear one another's burdens. The best givers of comfort are those who have, have needed and received comfort. I mean, can you imagine the testimony of the paralyzed man and his friends? You, the comfort now that they can offer others? Yeah, we had a buddy. He was paralyzed. We took him to Jesus. It is amazing. He can do the same for you. The best givers of comfort are those who have needed and received comfort. This testimony of the paralyzed man and his friends now have to comfort others. See, your trauma is your testimony. Your message or your mess is your message. Your testimony can give comfort and hope to others. I'll never forget this as long as I live. My wife and I received a phone call from one of our members of our church. We had found out that this gal... This gal's son committed suicide. It was overwhelming to Nancy and I. We knew them. We knew them well. She found him dead in his room. And it was a gut punch, man. It just like knocked us sideways. So we get in our car, we rush over there, and I'll never forget it as we're driving up. Her small group was there already ministering to her with love and comfort and encouragement before any of the pastors could even get on the scene. It was amazing. And I start, start listing off things. Hey, here's the things we need to do. Already got it covered. We need to get a meal train. We've already got that going. Absolutely amazing. I did the funeral and I watched that small group love on her and help her and support her unlike I've ever seen before. And I've continued to see that pattern work its way out right here at Desert Breeze. I've watched funerals. I've done a number of funerals this last year. I've watched those small groups minister and love and support the people that are going through those hard times. And I've watched people, even in the midst of the most difficult times, flourish because they have a group of friends that help them. They're feeling paralyzed by the trauma of life and they've got friends that carry to carry them to Jesus, to help them to connect deeply with Christ. It's amazing. I love, I love doing what I do. I love seeing Christ do his work here. 
I love what God is doing here at Desert Breeze. And so, let me, uh, let me give you the next couple fill in the blanks. We're going to wrap it up here, and you can study the rest of this on your own. The next one is prayer, another characteristic, and then the, the very last one is instruction. Take the sermon notes and look at the growing notes and work through this. But at this point, I'm going to invite uh, the Famellis up here, Scott and Karen Famelli. And so life together makes us better. And so the characteristics we're looking at are friendship, love, trust, teamwork, encouragement, hospitality, comfort, prayer, and instruction. All of those characteristics describe Scott and Karen Fumella here. And uh, as you guys, some of you know, they've been with us a long time. And they started with us when we were over at the Rose Garden Business Center. They've been here for uh, 25 years. I gave a gospel message one weekend, and what was interesting is I gave an invitation. They came up with their whole family and committed their life to Jesus here at Desert Bruce. And it was just, it's, a, it's a, one of those moments in your, in your life that you'll always remember. They, they've continued to be with the church throughout. Um, they've been here for 25 years. Scott has been on staff for 22 years. Karen's been working here uh, for 20 years. And there is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in this place from these two. And like I said, they, they dis- the description here is right here, what we just talked about. And so uh, they're making a transition. God is leading them on. And they're going to talk about it in just a moment. But it, we're very saddened by that. And yet we're very happy for what God is doing in their lives as he's leading them. And we want to bless them in this uh, new chapter in their life. So why don't you share with us, Scott? Hey, one thing I didn't share in the other couple of uh, services is that we have been here so long. We've been cleaning out our stuff. We found some pictures of you baptizing our daughters. You had hair. What? You had hair. That is a miracle. It's a long time. That was so rude. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, It's true, though. Hey, uh, we love our church family, and what I want you to know is that uh, God's been working on my heart over the last three years, and uh, uh, he gave me a burden for elderly people and caring for caregivers. I've talked to many of you about that, and uh, his first, the first thing I thought of was, uh, I should write a book, and I wanted to call it A Brief Eternity, because sometimes when you're caring for elderly people at the end of their lives, especially if they're loved ones, the time is too brief. And, um, but if you are their full-time caregiver, it feels like an eternity. Um, but God kept growing that burden in my heart. And then it just so happened that in the Tuesday morning men's Bible study, we were going through a book called How God Makes Men by Patrick Morley. And, um, one of the chapters in there was on the book of Nehemiah. And it, it describes this pattern of how God will, uh, will get a hold of your heart, shape you, and move you to redeem a part of his kingdom. And so the process is, is that God will break your heart for something. And he broke my heart for uh, these particular kinds of people. And then he will uh, give you a burden to do something about it. And he certainly has done that over a few years. Then he'll equip you to do something about it. I started the Seasons of Care support group, um, and I thought that was kind of what God wanted me to do. But he kept burdening me with that. And so after he burdens you and equips you, he will send you out to do something about it. And God is sending us out because this burden has turned into a calling for me. 
and um, and uh, we're going to answer. Uh, God's been uh, tapping me on the shoulder, then he was knocking me on the head, and then he hit me in the back of the head, <laughs> and, um, and it's time for us to listen. And so we'll be moving to Portland, Oregon, and uh, I will be running uh, an entire uh, independent living and assisted living facility, and uh, everything that I'll be doing will be ministry, although it's not in a church. Uh, but it, we really believe that that's what God has a calling on uh, my life for, and she comes with me, so uh, <clears throat> that's okay. Um, but what's ironic, and just to share a little anxiety that I had, is the day that I was to give my notice was the very next day after the weekend that Ray had me teach, and the title was Love Your Job. <laughs> and... I do love my job. I have always loved my job, and I love all you, and we love all you, and everything that we've been able to uh, be a part of here at Desert Breeze, and, you know, despite our failings, God using us in so many different ways. It's just been phenomenal, and we're so thankful to God and thankful for you to allow us to uh, be part of your lives, and... Um, it's, it's just been amazing, and we're so thankful for that. Um, but what I like about my job the most, uh, and it will be in the same in the job that I'm going to take on, is what I taught about a few weeks ago about loving your job because God invites you into his creation plan as creator, cultivator, and redeemer. And so we really think that God is doing a work in our hearts to go do that in a, with a particular community of people. That's the elderly and, and also caregivers. So, um, again, thank you. Those of you that are involved with the Seasons of Care group, it's going to continue because God has brought people into several different, uh, to grab those plates that have been spinning, and people have been taking those plates, and Seasons of Care is one of them. We have two particular people that are going to take on the group, so it will not end. Um, and it's the same with every other uh, ministry effort. The, uh, those of you that are planning on going camping, the camp hut's still going on, don't worry, um, but all kinds of other things. And um, so have courage with that. But um, my heart and our heart for this weekend is we don't want this news of us leaving to be the last thing on your mind. Um, we want the last thing on your mind to be what Ray taught about today. Because um, one of the questions that comes up, well, who's going to replace you? Well, for now, you are. It's your job. You are a community. God has equipped you to do the things that we do here at Desert Breeze. It's not about the limited number of staff members we have. We're just kind of showing the way, and you guys are doing the hard work. You guys are lifting the heavy end of the log through God's spirit and his power. Uh, even in your weakness, his, his power is made perfect. So continue to do that, please. And um, we'll be here till the end of the month, so there'll be time to connect. My phone number's not gonna change, and according to my capacity, I'd be happy to uh, give you any encouragement or insight that you might need in our absence, but um, we love you so much, and we're so thankful to God and, and to all of you for allowing us to be such a great part of your lives for a quarter of a century. Woohoo! Whoa. Praise God. We love you. We love you. So they're going to be up here. They'll still be with us for the, till the end of the month. We're making trips to Beaverton, okay? That's where they're going to be actually living, so we'll take busloads over there. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
but they will be in contact. Well, we're going to continue to stay in contact with them. We love them dearly. They'll be up here at the front. I'll be up at the front here. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, I'd love to be able to pray with you. Uh, also, don't forget uh, a class. If you want to get baptized next weekend, come to the 15-minute class. It'll be over here to my left, your right, over here at the front. And would you do something with me? Let's send them out with a prayer, with a lot of love. Put your, uh, put your hands out like this, your hands towards them, bow your heads. Let's pray for them this morning as we send them out. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the gift of community, that life together makes us better. Thank you for Scott and Karen and their many, many years of blood, sweat, and tears here at Desert Breeze. We love them. We pray that you would bless them and keep them and make your face to continue to shine upon them. And just as they have been a blessing to us, continue to use them powerfully to extend your kingdom in this new chapter in their lives. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Love you guys. God bless you.